I want you to think about that statement for what for a little bit. God can do exceeding abundantly beyond what we think we're capable of. Remember, there's nothing impossible with God. You know, he can take the worst of sinners. Think about who wrote this. The guy who would spit when he heard the name Jesus Christ, who had blood on his hands. And yet, he says, you know, he, he, he understood the power that worked in his own life, that brought change in his own life. And then he says this, unto him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Unto him be glory in the churches. See, if the world's going to see the glory of God, they're going to see it in us. The glory of God's not seen in beautiful buildings. That's not a church. That's just a building. You know, I praise the Lord that, you know, we're going to have a much nicer auditorium to meet in. And, you know, there's, there is a little value in that. Um, but it's little. It's just little. It's not really that important. But if, God, if, if the world's going to see the glory of God, they've got to see it in us. So, so as we consider tonight, look further at standards of conduct for officers and workers. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to meet together tonight. Thank you for the privilege that we have. And thank you for the opportunity that's set before us to see you work in our midst our own individual lives, and as a corporate, as a body of Christ here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. I pray that you'd help us to be sensitive and submissive to your leading, to your will for our lives, to allow you to mold us and make us to be conformed to the image of your dear Son. Allow your power to work mightily in us, to bring glory and honor unto our Lord and Savior who loved us and gave himself for us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, last week uh, we were talking, as we discussed, the thing we emphasized last week, standards was regularly attend all scheduled church services unless providentially hindered. And then it it goes on and says, number two, refrain from the following activities. And I'm going to tonight look at the, uh, it's on there, uh, wearing immodest clothing or hair or clothes, and clothing that is not appropriate to my gender. Um, so as we think about dress tonight and um, distinction, or or um, excuse me, as we think about this area of dress, of course, this is a this is this is what uh, many a preacher has. And many a church has given up, totally forsaken it. I've had pastors say, it's a dead issue. And what they mean by that is, you can forget it. It isn't going to fly. You can't do it in, in this day and time. Uh, and usually, 
course, there's other things that follow along those lines, too, that they give up. But the Bible still teaches it. The Bible still teaches it. You know, we're not, we're not given the responsibility of building big churches. It's not emphasized anywhere in the Scripture. Uh, in fact, look at, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 11 says, Further foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. And then if you drop, continue on in this passage, and you go to chapter 4 and verses 1 and 2, it says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So the Bible tells us here that God's going to judge us, our works of what sort they are, not what size it is. You know, if you can build, if you build with gold, silver, and precious stones, you know, a little bit of gold is worth It can be small in size, but worth a lot, of great value. And you can have a big pile of hay, and it's not worth much. I know, I used to sell it. Uh, yeah, you can have a whole truckload. You know, it just isn't worth much. And if you put fire to it, it ends up being very little. It's consumed. And all that's left with a few ashes. So, God is what the scripture is really telling us. God requires of us that we be faithful in our service and our works be of value and of substance, not and of quality, not of appearance. You know, people, people have said this. Well, they're getting a lot of people. They must be doing something right. Cults are growing too. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. So they must be doing something right, huh? No, they're not. That doesn't mean anything. Uh, no, we, we, are, we are required or we are accountable as stewards to be faithful be faithful. So as we think about standards tonight and this area of dress, I'm going to look at three areas of, of, of uh, dress or distinction in gender, which that's all, all, it, it's kind of combined in this. First of all, we need to dress for projection. In other words, we, we ought to project a certain image. 
And it ought to come from the heart, of course. Go to, go to Exodus chapter 28. I'm going to look at an illustration of this, and then we're going to go to the New Testament and compare some Scripture with Scripture here. Exodus chapter 28. <clears throat> the world in... Um, oh, I was going to bring an article and I forgot it. Um, the world... The world says a lot. You know, people say clothing, clothing doesn't say anything. Clothing is a language. It's very expressive. And the world will tell you that. But notice here in Exodus 28, it says in verse 1, And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he minister, may minister unto me in the priest's office. Even Aram, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, notice this phrase, for glory and for beauty. Drop down to verse uh, 40, 40. And for Aaron's sons thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make for them girdles, and bonnets shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt put upon them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shalt anoint them, and consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness, from the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come into the tabernacle of the congregation, or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place, that they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever unto him and his seed after him. So, you know, of course, the linen breeches were, uh, you know, of course, the, the priests wore, uh, it was a robe, um, outer garment was a robe, and they were to wear these linen breeches underneath, so if they were, if they were up on an altar or steps, the linen breeches would cover the nakedness underneath, so it couldn't be seen. Uh, but, but he says that, that they would make these garments for glory and for beauty. Because they were to minister. Under the Lord. Now go to go to First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. <clears throat> First Peter chapter two says verse nine, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In the time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So, Peter here is telling us that we're a chosen generation, we're a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation, we're a peculiar people. It's very descriptive. Now, the word peculiar, the idea of peculiar people has, is, really means a specialty. Special purchase possession. So we, of course, been purchased with the blood of Christ, with the incorruptible blood, with the precious blood of Christ. First Peter chapter 1, verse 19 tells us that. And, and so we are peculiar in that we are special to, to God. We are considered His priesthood. We represent him to the world. And we ought to show and demonstrate by our, our lives and including our dress 
the glory and beauty of the Lord. You know, we, the, the, you know, I don't know how many years ago this really fad really started, but the dress-down look. You know, the guys walking down the streets what looks like their pants are going to fall down. You know, people, people seem to emphasize how sloppy they can look. They seem to take pride in that. Remember, when I was in school, when I went to public school, they had, they had, and I think it was called Pajama Day. I thought that's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. And this one kid in my, I can't remember his last name. I thought he was a goof. I thought he was lacking a few things up here. But anyway, he got, in my class, he got the, the best dressed, I think. Well, in one of those days, he wore a long john, long sleeve, you know, long sleeve, long john shirt. It's an undergarment. They call this best dressed. You know, the dress down look, look is a message. It's a message of rebellion against accepted norms and accepted authority. I mean, all you have to do is Google it, and the world will tell you that. Um, no, we need, to, we need to project an image, a good image of God, that we have it together. The, uh, you know, a message that, you know, is neat, clean cut, pants pulled up, properly covered. You know, that, you know, that commands respect. It's a message that, you know, I, I have it together. I'm respectable. You know, when you see a Marine in dress blues, what's your response? I had a, knew a missionary that was a truck driver. And he was a, he was a big rough and tumble truck driver before he got saved. But he said this. He said, I always wore a tie when I drove a truck. Truck drivers wear ties? Now he drove tractor trailers. And he said, I could go into any plant anywhere I wanted to. Because, he said, the reason was, because of the way I was dressed. You see, that caught people's attention. Um, now we need to we need to have we, we need to present a a a proper projection, a representation of the Lord. Um, years ago, we were getting ready to go out on visitation just before I was pastoring. And I came to trust visitation. It was it was in Pennsylvania, so it was cooler than it's here. You know, when it's, most of the time we got here, it's you know hot. So I don't wear a coat, but there I'd wear a coat and tie. And this fellow said to me, "You're awful dressed up to go out in visitation, aren't you?" I said, "Well, I figured this way. I'm going out to represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords."
so shouldn't I dress up? You know, he would be in his blue jeans and sneakers, not tied. <laughs> you know, and he said, you know what? That's, that's pretty good. You see, we need to, so we need to project, give a good projection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Secondly, we need to dress not only for projection, but for distinction. Distinction. Deuteronomy 22.5. Deuteronomy 22.5. One of the loathed verses in Scripture, but still there. Um, Genesis 1.27 says that he made them male and female. There is a difference between men and women in their appearance. In Genesis 22.5, it says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Uh, and then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, some people will say that this isn't taught in the New Testament. I bear to differ with you. 1 Timothy 2 verse 9 says, In like manner also that woman, women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, the word apparel here is the word katastole. It's a two-part word. A stole is a robe-like garment which men wore in biblical times. A katastole was a robe-like garment that women wore. And the word, and the first part of the word kata means a garment let down. You know, people will use this argument that there wasn't any distinction in Bible times. Yes, there was. The women's robe or garment was distinctively longer than the men's. They both wore those kind of garments, but one was distinctively longer than the other. So there was still a distinction. Of course, in our society, in Western culture, the distinction is skirts, dresses versus pants. Um, and it's interesting, in Deuteronomy 22.5, it says the woman's not to wear that which pertains to a man, but it also said the man's not to wear that which pertains to the woman. Now, when women put on men's apparel, most people don't think anything about it anymore, right? What happens when a man puts on a woman's skirt? I haven't seen that in a long time, but when we were in Bangor, we lived in Maine, we, were, we went down to the big city of Bangor one time. And that's kind of a joke, because it's probably about one twenty-fifth the size of Raleigh. But anyway, <laughs> but it did have a Sam's and a, and a you know, and, you know, anyway, uh, <laughs> and restaurants. Uh, but it was an hour's drive from where we lived. But anyway, we went down to Bangor, we're driving down the street one day, I said to him, I said, look there. 
and there was this thing <laughs> with kind of scraggly black hair down about here, carrying a black purse with a white, looked like a nurse's skirt on, but also had hairy legs. Now, the majority of people in our society are repulsed by that, and rightly so. But they're not repulsed when women put on men's garments because it's become accepted. You know, God, God made man, God made us male and female. Even creation shows a distinction between the two. There's different colorations of animals. You know, a male lion looks different than a female. You can tell it just, just like that. And, and, and we see in our society, of course, this blurring. And in the world, there's a blurring of the distinctions. By the way, and in, in that is being, being pushed by... Those are in opposition to God. In fact, I was telling Brother Hoyle uh, the other day about uh, in uh, Dusseldorf, Germany, they find a document how to how to uh, convert any. It was nine steps, and one of them has to do with with uh, perverting the roles in society, sexualizing women and feminizing the men. Because they know it will weaken the culture or the society. And that's what's happening in our, in our society today. You know, we, we have come to the place like Isaiah chapter 3 where the women rule over them or the children. No, we're to, remain, we're to maintain this distinction in this, in the, between the genders. Go to, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It also... It's not only in clothing. There's two areas of distinction. There's dress and there's hair. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I deliver them unto you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth, her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if a woman be not covered, let her be also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man ought indeed ought not to have cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was a man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head, speaks of her glory, because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the woman without the or the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. You know, we we do need each other. If we didn't have any women, we there there wouldn't be men anymore. That's kind of you know obvious. But anyway, for as the woman is of the man. You know, she was created after him and from him. Even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourselves, is it comely that the woman pray unto God uncovered? 
Now thought even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Now, there, there are some that believe, and of course, me being raised Mennonite, there's Mennonites teach that a woman needs to wear a head covering of some kind, a little bonnet. But I believe the Bible very clearly teaches here that the, the covering is the hair. Verse 15. The hair is given her for a covering. And it says to distinguish her from a man and to show her submission to her husband or her father, her hair is to be long. The word long means to hang down from the head. That doesn't mean it has to be down to here somewhere. It means to hang down from the head. And the man's hair is not to be long. And you know, one fellow said to me, well, you know, it's no big deal. It's just a shame. <laughs> Do you know what the word shame here means? Vile. It means it's vile. It's disgusting. It's woman-like. You know, I've come to the conclusion that God hates the unisex movement. He hates it. So, and again, this, this shows, this demonstrates, this, 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 the long hair of the woman and the man having the short hair demonstrates that he is the head of the woman and the long hair on the woman speaks or demonstrates that she is in submission to the man or her husband or her dad. Even as he is in submission, by the way, his, his short hair demonstrates that he is in submission to Christ. Yeah, we're all in submission to somebody. None of us are an end unto ourselves. We're all under authority. And so, and of course, the woman then having long hair, it not only demonstrates she's in submission to her husband, but she's also in submission to Christ and to God. So, so again, there, needs, there ought to be this distinction Clear distinction between the genders that God has set forth in his word from the very beginning. He made them male and female. You know, I believe that, that it ought to be apparent by what we, the way we dress and by our hair covering that when you see somebody from a distance, you can say, that's a man, that's a woman. Otherwise, it's confusion. And I believe that the, the, the destroying of this standard has brought about the, the escalation of the homosexual movement. Because what's a homosexual? They don't, seem, they don't seem to know whether they're a woman or a man. They've got authority issues. That's what it is. It's rebellion against God. Uh, I remember we were... This is when we were in Maine. We went down to the biggest city of Bangor again to watch the fireworks. And there was a couple that uh, were going to meet us 
there, and we would walk to a bridge, I think it was, to watch the fireworks, and they put them, there was two bridges that crossed the river. There was a river through the middle of the city, basically. Well, I guess it separated Bangor from Brewer, was on the other side of the river. But anyway, Bangor and Brewer were, were right next to each other, the river divided them, and they put the fireworks off on one of the bridges. And so you could get onto the other bridge and see them very well. well this couple was going to meet us a certain place. They told us where to meet them, and then we were, they, they said we could you know, have a good place so we could do the fireworks very well. So we're, we're driving down downtown Bangor, and we're looking for this couple. And we had trouble discerning the difference between the man and the woman because of the way they were dressed. You see, that ought not to be. God wants a distinction between the genders, a distinction between the genders. Um, he made them male and female. So, so we ought to, to uh, uh, dress for projection, for distinction, but also for protection. Now God doesn't give us commands in his words and thou shalt not just to make life miserable for us or make it difficult, or to keep us from things that are enjoyable. No, he gives them to us so that we can enjoy life. To keep us from things that are harmful to us in our relationship with the the Lord. Go to Matthew chapter 5. We'll go there first. Matthew chapter 5. Actually, they us go to Genesis chapter 39. You know, most of this, all this, as we think about dress, is, of course, by the nature of our society, is directed more toward the women than the men, but there's also issues with men. Uh, Genesis chapter 39 Um, verse uh, verse 7 it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph she said lie with me but he refused and said unto his master's wife behold my master wotteth not what is with me in the house he hath committed all that he hath to my hand there is none greater in this house than I neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Uh, so here we see, you know, Joseph was a goodly man, well favored. He was a handsome young man, and here's this wicked woman uh, casting her eyes upon him, and, and she's lusting after him. Um, you know, I don't believe Joseph did anything to provoke that. The point I want to make is, men today do. Men today do. And I'll say a little bit more about that later. But, but go over to also uh, Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. Verse 10. Where it says, And behold there met him, this is the simpleton, a woman with the attire of an harlot. 
you know, she has the attire of a harlot. Now look at chapter 6, verse 25. It says, Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. Uh, so here's this, this woman who's dressed in a way to attract the attention of men to lust after her. Of course, the Bible warns us here in Proverbs chapter 6 to not lust after her beauty in thine heart. It's talking about her physical features, obviously. And, and then go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And verse 27, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery already, already with, with her already in his heart. So, so here the Bible tells us that you know, to lust after a woman is committing adultery with her. Now, if you think about Bathsheba on the rooftop bathing herself. And, David's, and it says that David looked. He gazed. And then he sent for her. He began with what he saw what he saw. Now, does that excuse him? No. But she's guilty also. She's guilty also. Um, now go order go to go to back to first Timothy chapter two. First Timothy chapter two. And here's the instruction, and particularly to women, but we men need to think about this as well. In like manner also. Of course, really the subject here is prayer, but he's talking about if we want our prayers answered, you know, we need to be careful in our appearance and our dress. Like manner also that woman, women adorn themselves in modest apparel. The word modest really means well arranged. Then it says with shamefacedness. And sobriety. The word shamefacedness has the idea of being ashamed to allow certain parts of your body to be revealed or to be seen. In other words, you'd be ashamed to wear the attire of a harlot to Walmart like they do today. Um. Yeah, it used to be just in the summertime. Now it's all year round with the yoga pants and all that, you know. No, shamefacedness. Ashamed. And you see, so God gives us these standards to protect us from unnecessary temptation. By the way, a beautifully well-arranged attire, a modest attire on a woman commands respect from a man. It speaks of character and virtue. You see, the attire of a harlot says, I'm cheap, 
I can be bought. I can be manipulated. You know, the miniskirt had a message. And most of the modern apparel has a message. Skinny jeans have a message. The rock and roll crowd um, likes their skinny jeans. It, it's a unisex message. It's a, uni, it's a message of sensuality. Um, here's an article by Dr. Michelle Zarillo. This was far above rubies. Put out by Lehigh Valley Baptist Church in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. And, and she says this, quote, Before I was saved, my clothing motto was all about comfort and showing off my body. I did not own a dress. I did have many skirts, however. And then and she said, you know, make a long story short, you know, after she got saved, her pastor gave her a book. And, and, and over time, she said, first, my first impression is I wanted to rip it up. But anyway. Um, but she says this. Uh, I cha- she changed, God changed my heart. Uh, and she says, she gives five reasons why I wear skirts. Abomination is still abomination. God calls a woman wearing clothes, man's clothes, an abomination. Really, it is cross-dressing, which, is, which used to be called a perversion. I remember Pastor Webb preaching a message in Maryland years ago, and he quoted, can't find it because I got a copy of it at the time, but he quoted somebody from Chapel Hill saying that really, and what, what the article really said was that really most American women are transvestite in the clothing they wear. In other words, cross-dressers. Because they wear men's pants. Or they wear pants. Not just men's, they wear pants, period. Um, she says, second reason, not long ago, modest dress was not so odd. Now, I may stand out like a sore thumb in my exercise skirts, but the benefit of a clear conscience before God, or when I run into someone uh, far outweighs any embarrassment. Uh, shouldn't we have some shame if our secret parts are outlined? I figure if people can wear the word juicy or pink on their rear end, I can cover mine. <laughs> a friend once told me, in an insane world, the, same, the sane appear as insane. Thirdly, she said, I identify myself with the female sign on the bathroom door. It is still socially, social normality that when a woman wants to look nice, she wears a dress. It is still feminine. I have never seen a bride in wedding slacks. That's a good point. Fourth, I don't want to cause my brothers in Christ to morally stumble. My figure is nothing to gawk at, but it is still female. When a woman wears pants, it is the center seam that the eye looks first, front and back, and like it or not, that creates sexual thoughts in a man's mind. Yikes. Fifth, it is such a small thing that God asks, how many areas of my Christian walk have I failed in? We all wear a uniform. Shouldn't I dress like I am on God's team? Is it really too much to ask? And then she says this, Have you asked God what is his opinion? And then somebody wrote a comment. 
she said. I admit I love your modesty. Maybe it's just me, but I bag your pants or kilts. Jeans and especially dress pants sometimes expose men. That's what a lady said. That's all I'm going to say about it. She said some other things, but anyway, uh, we men need to be careful. By the way, the dress, the pant designers are mostly homosexuals. Clothing designers. Um, here's another article by Matt Walsh. He is he's he's a conservative Catholic, and. Uh, and this, this, this really comes under the last point of protection, that God gives us standards for protection. And, and he says, the article is titled, Politically Incorrect and Totally Offensive Ways to Curb Sexual Harassment. So she, he's, he's, he's addressing the issue, you know, we hear about us all sexual harassment in our society today, in the, in the Hollywood and all that, and, and so on. And he says, I'm tired of all this talk. Let the victims come forward, let justice be done, but why are we spending every day talking about it? There's no point. And he said, there could be a point, but there isn't. There isn't because we aren't going to do anything to prevent these issues in the future. We're not, we're not trying to change anything to prevent these issues. We just like to talk about them. We're all victims, you know. So he gives some a plan to prevent, which, you know, society thinks is wacko. First of all, he says... Observe the Mike Pence rule. When it's all said and done, Mike Pence may be the only man left standing in Washington. I would say that Mike Pence gets the last laugh, but I'm told Mike Pence only laughs at jokes and veggie tales. Be that as it may, the Pences are clearly onto something here. The vice president and his wife don't have to worry about being embroiled in one of those scandals because they never allow themselves to be alone with a member of the opposite sex. They don't do lunch dates, they don't have closed door one on one meetings, and Certainly would neither nor attend a meeting in a hotel room. And he says more about that, but I'm not going to read it all. But second thing he says is emphasize modesty. Now, we are in very dicey ground. To most people, it is unthinkable to bring modesty into this discussion. What am I saying exactly? That a woman deserves to be harassed if she goes to work dressed like a stripper? No, I'm not saying that. Although a lot of them do. Uh, nobody deserves to be harassed, but they can certainly increase or the likelihood of falling victim to the thing they don't deserve, depending on how they present themselves. And modesty is not just about women, or even mostly about women. This applies equally across the board. Men and women ought to behave, dress, speak, and generally operate with a sense of modesty and decency. Back in the old, dark old days, there were standard con- codes of conduct governing how men and women interacted. Most of these codes could be chalked up to modesty. We have done away with these codes. We laugh at anyone who proposes that we reinstate them, and then we proceed to scratch our heads and wring our hands at the epidemic of sexual harassment. And then the third point he, he, he says was emphasize chastity. But he said this about Tessie. He said, I mentioned this on Twitter, and someone who's apparently a professional writer asked me what that word means. 
And he says, that's our culture in a nutshell. See, we don't want answers. We want to go on our rebellious way in opposition to what God has set forth in his word without the consequences. But it won't happen. See, God has given, th- given us standards in his word for us to project the glory of God uh, and to project a distinction which he has set from the very beginning, but also to protect us. Any psychologist will tell you that, the, that, that much, many times men are, are enticed or encouraged into sexual harassment or rape or that kind of things by the things they see. And again, that's not excusing him. We're responsible for our actions. But you know, I believe that God holds, is holding or held Bathsheba accountable for her actions too. In fact, it was Bathsheba that warned Solomon, her son, very strongly about a strange woman. In, in Proverbs chapters 30 and 31. So, you know, God gives us standards of conduct for our benefit, for our good. He desires that we bring glory to Him. He desires to protect us. To prevent us from falling into the corruption that is in the world. Through lust. You know, isn't it, isn't it wonderful that we can, we can raise our children to escape the corruption that we maybe saw? You see, God desires that there be glory in his church. And so he's given us what we call standards that we might glorify him to a lost and dying world. May we have the attitude of you know seeking to do and please the Lord in every manner of life. You know, Peter tells us in in first um, Peter first <clears throat> Peter chapter one. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Might God help us to seek to be holy and pleasing unto the Lord in every area of our life, including the area of dress. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the, the instruction that, that, that it gives us. And Lord, I praise you to help us as your church to be sensitive and submissive to your word, uh, to allow you teach us and instruct us, allow you to have your will and way, that you might be glorified in your
your church. Until our Lord comes, we do pray in Jesus' name.